Hi everybody, I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Yehopitzville, brought to you by Pear Tree Canada. Well, here we are. Here we are, heading, barreling towards Purim. I did have one rabbi who wore a bee costume and a tutu, uh, a male rabbi, a bee costume and a tutu. But you're supposed to turn the thing on its head, and he successfully did that by walking into the sanctuary in that particular garb. I'm not sure if my guest today has done that sort of thing, but at least it's a wardrobe idea. Rabbi Lillian Kowalski is the Associate Rabbi and Director of Education at Temple Emmanuel Beth Shalom in Westmount, Quebec at the present moment in time. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? I'm doing well, Ralph. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, you're not Canadian. I am not Canadian, no. That, that's okay. That's <laughs> we, should, okay. we should get that clarification out yeah, of the way right I, now. <laughs> we, we forgive you. We forgive you. Well, um, thank you. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Uh, you, you were brought up in uh, upstate New York? Yes, I was. Just uh, just south of here in, in Albany, New York, yeah. Now, what's the Jewish culture and population in Albany? Oh, okay. Um, so... I do alert people that I did not become a rabbi because I'm good at math. Um, So I don't have the exact, you know, numbers or population for anything like that. But how I kind of like to explain it is Albany is a city by population standards. Um, And the Jewish community there in Albany, like, you know, most Jewish communities anywhere, isn't gigantic. It's not a huge part of the population. Um, So it does have a little bit of that kind of small town feel to it. Um, But I happened to grow up at a congregation that was in a relatively Jewishly dense area. There were four, approximately four or five other congregations around and a JCC. Um, And one of the things that I really appreciate still to this day about the Jewish community there is kind of this sense of community and camaraderie when when they come together over communal events. Um, So in... Albany, we do a communal, for instance, Yom HaShoah event that moves around locations to each of the different congregations each year, Um, particularly the reform community in the greater Albany area, so spanning a little bit um, of a larger space, also does community uh, involvement and engagement, particularly they... um, have an opportunity to get together each year to celebrate what we affectionately call Founders Day, which is around uh, the anniversaries of uh, Isaac Mayer Wise and Stephen S. Wise, the founders of Reform Judaism uh, in America. And Isaac Mayer Wise, before he made his way to Cincinnati, um, stopped in in Albany and was the, the rabbi in Albany for a couple of years there. So Albany also, the Reform community in particular, gets a chance to come together for that weekend as well, which I always really appreciated in terms of what community building and community relationships could look like, which is really important when you work in a small town Jewish life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, reform is a bigger uh, cohort in the United States than conservative. And here it's the other way around, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's always been an interesting difference to me that reform was bigger in America. And Cincinnati would be where Hebrew Union would be? Yes, Hebrew Union College is has a campus in uh, in Cincinnati as well as New York City and Los Angeles and Jerusalem. So of the of all of those, right, the small town kind of feel is going to be centered in the Cincinnati campus. 
You went to L.A. though, right? I did go to L.A. because um, the schools of education, their programs are either in New York City or in Los Angeles. And so when I was making my decision about looking towards that program, I decided that the L.A. campus was going to be the end program was going to be the right fit for me. So I went to rabbinical school and did my graduate work in Los Angeles. And then you went to the Mecca of Jewish culture, Tulsa. Tulsa, Oklahoma, the center <laughs> of everything. Um, the the explanation uh, my senior in Tulsa gave me for you know how to describe where Tulsa is is if you think about a, a map of the United States in a book, right, where it's a two page spread, Tulsa is going to be where the staple is in the book. Um, so it's kind of like right smack in the center there, right yeah. there in the seam, right there in the seam in the center. So what kind of a congregation or population of Jews are there in Tulsa? So we estimated, um, I think, around 3,000 Jews in Tulsa. Okay. And clearly with um, that, not all of those people are affiliated with either of the congregations that are in town. Um, but, you know, that that's going to be something that you encounter in any kind community or congregation, right, that you serve, that you end up serving the community and more people than are actually your members. Um, so the Tulsa congregation that I worked for was the Reformed Congregation, their Temple Israel. Um, there is also a another congregation on Chabad in town, along with some other pieces of Jewish infrastructure that I can explain about in in a little bit. Um, but the congregation is, yeah, it's not a teeny tiny congregation. I've served that as well. I happen to serve as a, one of my first pulpits. I was the student rabbi for a congregation in Washington State, in southeastern Washington State, in the town of Yakima, where our membership base was um, approximately. 50 member units, right? So 50 families. Right. That's a really small congregation. In Tulsa, when I got there, we had, I, th- I think there's still around 300 families. Um, so, so it's a so small we, congregation, but not tiny. Yeah. So, but when you, when you're in smaller centers like that, what is, do you, how do you go about engaging? Because, you know, if you're in a, like in Toronto, for instance, there's over 180,000 Jewish people. So, really, you don't have to work that hard to find some Jews to, you know what I mean, to 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 get into what you're doing. Uh, there is competition. I, I I grant you that, but you don't have to work in the same way. How do you have to work when you're in small groups like that, like fifty families, three hundred families? Yeah. So I think. A first really important thing to note about these smaller congregations, at least in my experience, is that the members are really committed. Um, and the volunteerism that comes from inside the community um, and inside the membership is really, really important. That's the piece that makes these communities function as in the ways that they do. You rely on the the people who are going to show up every single Friday night and have them be a part of, you really integrate them into the the framework of the community. Um, in, in Yakima, when I was the student rabbi there, I only came in once a month. So every mm. other program that happened when I wasn't there had to be lay-driven. 
because that was the kind of the kind of community that they they were and and what they were able to do um, and they have been a historic student pulpit for a number of years um, and they still are a student pulpit and so that is part of their identity um, you know, it's interesting because when you were saying that I was thinking in smaller communities because you have to rely on the people who are really going to show they're usually people who want more tradition. They're usually people who have a, a more, for lack of a better word, conservative bent. So I, I wonder, does that make it much harder for Jewish innovation and Jewish rebooting of ideas to happen? Because you don't want to mess with the small group you have and have them go, hey, we're not here to you know, do uh, Jewish renewal or any of that. We're just like, we're Jews, we want to show up. What a great question. Um, I think that a, at least with Yakima and with some of our other student pulpits, most of our student pulpits are going to be in these smaller congregations. Um, and you do work in kind of these smaller, maybe more remote congregations. And then to get more experience, you also end up having an internship at a maybe a larger congregation or a mid-sized congregation as well. But a lot of us start our experience in school with being a student rabbi in one of these smaller remote congregations. So I know people who have worked in um, North Dakota and Montana and Alaska and Nevada and Utah, right? In these small congregations in small cities throughout, you know, spread out throughout the country. The thing about these congregations, especially when they've been involved in the, as a student pulpit for a long time, is that they know they're gonna get somebody different pretty regularly um kind of the longest amount of time you might be able to work with a congregation in that regard is two maybe three years tops so they know at approximately every one to two years they're going to get a new person and that means a different vibe a different uh perspective and so yes they might be a little bit more conservative in in terms of their observances or how they participate or whatnot, but these congregations really pride themselves on being these incubators for these, you know, student rabbis. And and so they are, in some cases, actually more open to some of that innovation because they have to be, because they can't get too settled into the way things were, quote unquote, because in another year and a half, they're going to get a new person. Mm -hmm. So there does have to be this kind of dyna dynamicism and this fluidity with the, you know, holding on to their traditions, but also being willing to change and adapt and innovate. And so I think that's something that they do really well when they're these student pulpits who have been historically student pulpits for a number of years. They understand what that means and they're, they're so dedicated and thoughtful and conscientious about bringing in these student rabbis and making sure that they have a place to grow and start to explore and develop what their rabbinic voice looks like. Mm, interesting. You know, I, I think about the the trends, like if you, if people Google Jewish innovation, most of it happens in the United States, not here in Canada. Uh, it's, there's a you know, especially around the New York kind of hub and different mm -hmm. hubs, there's there's a lot going on. So, but I'm always reminded of a, a 
Reb Zalman Shakhtar Shalom, he, he got a, a, a gig at a, a, a you know, conservative-ish kind of synagogue, and he says, you know, okay, uh, it's Friday night, we're not going to use the, the Sidurim, we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to meditate. And they do this meditation, and it's great, and everybody's like, that's great. And then the board chair calls him up and says, could you come to the meeting on Tuesday? He's like, yeah, sure. It's, yeah, it's, you know, they're going to tell me it was great. And uh, they had the whole stack of Sidorim on the table and said, we bought these for a reason. Make sure you use them. So I guess rabbis always have to be careful about getting ahead of their congregations. Absolutely. It's a huge balancing act in terms of being aware of and respectful of the the culture and and the history right we we know in in Judaism the kind of the compelling force of minhag of custom of that a, a community's custom in some cases is is the standard that you hold to almost to almost to a fault I wouldn't say to a fault, but it but it holds the same weight. That's the word I was looking for. It holds the same weight in some cases as as halakha, as law. So if you come in kind of into a conflict between law and the community custom, you you go with the community custom. Mm-hmm. That's the force of it. That's the weight of it. Um, and so. There, there is this balancing act, right, between the, the comfortable and the familiar and, and also pushing the boundaries a little bit and seeing how we can grow and, and develop because we don't grow and we don't change if we stay within our comfort zone. It's only when we start to push out of our comfort zone um, that we really start to grow and change. But for some places, that, ta- that, that has to come more slowly mm-hmm. and that takes a little bit more of a process. During World War II, the Nazis began a little-known program of extermination for their own children. In Peter Klenot's new mystery thriller, The Unwanted, 14-year-old Hannah Ziegler is being driven by her grandfather and her psychiatrist to a euthanasia center. 16-year-old Silky Hartenstein graces the cover of Nazi propaganda magazines. Avi Kreisler is a Munich police detective rounded up for Dachau. And a patrician father hopes his son, David McAuliffe, will be elected the first Catholic president of the United States. In The Unwanted, in the aftermath of war, revenge brings these four people together in ways unimaginable. The Unwanted. Do not skip to the last page. Find it at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. The other thing about being a rabbi I've noticed in my friends who are rabbis, some of them have been in the same pulpit for a very long time, mm-hmm. but it seems to be a bit of a nomadic life. You go here, three years here, six years there. It two. can be, as opposed to, to other you know, professions where you might find uh, one particular place and stay there and get that that experience and you get more experience staying in one place. Like clearly you get rabbinic experience staying in one place as well. But yeah, rabbis are much more likely to be to to be traversing different areas and different congregations before they settle into the place that they find themselves for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but does it, is it stressful? Because for me, I would be worried. I'm going to a new place. I don't know these people. And there's this whole thing of, you know, do I like the rabbi? Do I not like the rabbi? Do, do, do all these, these things must factor in in some way. I mean, I, I can only speak for me personally. 
right? So yes, of course, there is a, a little bit of apprehension about coming to a new place and a, and a new community. Um, and especially with some of the way that, say, the job interview placement process works, you do a lot of it online. And, and I will readily say, right, I, I picked up and moved to L.A. not for graduate school, not really knowing anything about Los Angeles, but kind of that was where I applied for school. That was where I was going to go. It's almost like I didn't have a choice, though. You know, I kind of did because I chose to apply there, right? Um, and I also chose to apply to the congregations that I did. What was surprising for me about Tulsa in particular was, you know, I'd never been to Oklahoma before. I'd never been to Tulsa before. I probably could have picked out Oklahoma on a map. I definitely could have picked out Oklahoma on a map of the United States. But I couldn't have told you where Tulsa was, right? I, until I got I, until I got this nifty little helpful understanding of Tulsa is literally in the seam of the book there. Um, the staple. Yeah. But right near the staple, exactly. <laughs> but when I got down on the ground in Tulsa and I actually went there for a visit, it felt very, very different. It wasn't kind of the stereotypical feeling that you get from these stereotypical, right? It, from these stereotypical images and understandings that we have of Middle America, Southern America, anything like mm. like that. Um, it's a city and it's a thriving city and it's got so much infrastructure there. I'm an arts and culture person and one of the things that I found fascinating about Tulsa was that it has the social and financial infrastructure to support an opera company on top of traveling shows and museums and, and it gets the Broadway shows. It has multiple theaters there. It has an opera. It has a ballet. It it has museums and all sorts of cultural infrastructure that you wouldn't necessarily associate with a smaller city in that regard. Now, some of that I will say happens to be because it's Tulsa and Oklahoma and we can, you know, talk historically about the oil boom and all right. of the financial capital that ends up in Tulsa. Um, and the Black and so Wall Street. And Black Wall Street and all of those things. I happen to be in Tulsa during the uh, centenary of the Black Wall Street massacre, which was a very interesting time to be in Tulsa mm -hmm. and kind of the social reckoning that was happening in the city at that time. Um it's, it's fascinating. And that also applies to the Jewish community as well. So within the Jewish community of Tulsa, right, this small kind of community, 3,000 people, it's not so, so much when you think about it, um, knowing that some of the congregations I'm, you know, familiar with could have 3,000 people in their sanctuary just for the High Holy Day services, mm. right? But... Because of that investment, both in the social capital and in the financial capital, Tulsa has an incredibly affluent Jewish community social infrastructure there. It's got, it supports multiple congregations. It's got a dedicated Jewish art museum, the Sherwin Miller Museum. Um, it's got a center for Holocaust education that just opened up a, a new um, wing and exhibit as part of the, the, the Sherwin Miller Museum there. It's got 
uh, a federation and a JCC, and uh, it runs a day camp. It's got a day school, uh, a, a pre-K through grade six day school there. Um, and it does additional investing in that. I want to give a huge shout out um, to Tulsa Tomorrow, which is a program within the Jewish community in Tulsa that actively seeks to recruit young adults to move to Tulsa, where cost of living is easier, you know, um, the way that the the lifestyle is a little bit calmer and less frenetic mm-hmm. than big cities and so specifically for people who are looking for that kind of thing or maybe um, have remote working capabilities or are looking for a change of pace and a change of life Tulsa tomorrow does um, active recruitment to bring people in specifically Jewish young adults uh, they do this through recruitment weekends where they they host people to come in and do visits um, to see what Tulsa is like on the ground because a lot of people are thinking like I did, they don't really know so much about Tulsa or about Oklahoma um, until you get your feet on the ground and you really see what's there and what's available. And so Tulsa Tomorrow will do these recruitment weekends, they'll bring people in. And then the executive director, uh, Rebecca Cantor, will continue to um, follow up with them, help people with moving and transition and um, connections for housing, connections for job uh, opportunities and all of those sorts of things. And so the young adult population in Tulsa has really boomed with this. Tulsa Tomorrow is specifically a program from within the Jewish community, but the city of Tulsa as well has started to work on this through programs such as Tulsa Remote, which again, through that remote working capability and cost of living and pace of life and all of that, they are actively recruiting people to mo- also to move to Tulsa and offering them co-working spaces and stipends for living. It's um, great. It's, it's great. an incredible opportunity there. And so, but, but, but you left. <laughs> but I did leave. I left, yes. Tulsa, um, goodbye tomorrow. So that's okay. That, no, no, I, I get it. I, I get I, it. I get it. I think very, very highly of Tulsa. It was, but that, but what happened for me was, as you just pointed out, the kind of nomadic piece uh, of yeah. urbanic life. I was there for three years, um, and Tulsa was great for the three years that I was there, even amidst the fact that the three years that I was there were also pandemic years. Oh, I was there oh. throughout the entirety of the pandemic. Ooh, that's rough. Um, okay, so you get now to Montreal. Yes. You. And you'd never been to Montreal, or you? Have I had been? never been to Montreal, so wow. I have this. I particularly have this nice, weird little thing of I'm willing to move to cities, kind of sight unseen, never been there before. So I did it with LA, and I did it with Tulsa, and now I've done it with Montreal. All right, so, so far you, it's working out. Yeah. So Montreal is uh, an entirely different situation, right? So you're yes. in Westmount. Um, <laughs> And you're in a Reformed congregation in Westmount, Anglo-Jewish as opposed to French-Jewish, which would be mostly Sephardic Moroccan. Mm-hmm. So we do um, have a, a number of, uh, of Francophone members, and we do offer Francophone programming uh, mm, as cool. well. Yes. So, okay. Tell me about Montreal, your impression, and as a nomad, how do you see the place? That's a great question. Um, again, I 
think for me, one of those things is that you don't really know a place in a city until you you get down on the ground and, and you're actually moving around and investing in things. So I moved here over the summer. Um, and no, I did not get to enjoy festival season over the summer because I was a little overwhelmed with um, with moving and starting a job and some of the bureaucracy that comes with specifically moving to a new country. But what I will say is that there's a lovely neighborhood feel that you get in Westmount, it, it being its own kind of little municipality out, you know, within the greater Montreal um, cityscape. And, and there's a lovely neighborhood vibe that I get with that, that I, you know, see walking around Westmount, whether it's by Temple or by some of the parks or... Um, being able to walk down the street to a grocery store, anything like that, seeing people out and about, um, that other areas, even with smaller town feels, may not necessarily get. I lived downtown in Tulsa, um, and so there was quite a bit of milling around there because it was downtown and it was where things were happening. I was right by the the theater. I was close by to some of the stadium places, Um and so you did get quite a bit of milling around there. But very quickly, as soon as you got out of downtown or the very close neighborhoods to downtown, it, some of that stopped because it's a, a much more suburban sprawl type mm-hmm. place. Whereas in Westmount, because of where it's located and where its kind of centers are, I still see a lot of that neighborhood vibe I keep saying sure. right where you see people walking around and and being on foot yes there are some places where you really need to be able to drive and get to places and whatnot especially if you're going outside the little hamlet of Westmount but there's this nice little insular in a positive sense feeling that you get that I get at least walking around West Mountain seeing some of those communal activities there as well and Temple does a, a fair amount of out and about pieces in Westmount during the the nicer like clearly not right now while there's still snow on the ground but during the nicer months we have a a first Friday Shabbat that we do in Queen Elizabeth Park right across the street um, we do a, a community a Hanukkah menorah lighting at Westmount City Hall with the Shar. Um, during the High Holy Days, we'll do Tashlich at the park, at, at Westmount Park as well with our, our families. So that to be able to get out and see some of those infrastructure pieces along with the interpersonal connections is really important to, so to kind of friends, developing. So when your friends back home say, so what's Canada like? What do you tell them? Uh, I tell them first and foremost that as much as I enjoy the snow and I spent a fair amount of time in Albany, Albany winters did not prepare me for Montreal winters. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At least that's what I tell them right now. Um, But in, but in all seriousness, it's, it's a, it's a wonderfully cosmopolitan and open city from what I've been experiencing so far it's giving me an opportunity to stretch and grow in different areas i did not um i did not study french in any of my schooling and so that's now a new piece that i'm kind of taking on and learning a little bit about of trying to get some 
traversable French to as necessary. Uh, and the this is now the third country I've lived in. So I, li- I was born and raised in the United States. I spent a year living in Israel for the beginning of rabbinical school, and now I'm living in Canada. Um, and each place has its own distinct factors and culture and uh, overarching themes and ideas that you that you learn and you grow with in terms of what what you understand about living in a new place um, and how you start to acclimate to it. So I will say having been here for just over six months there there are some pieces that I feel I have a little bit more of a sense of like I understand the metro system a little bit more now because I I utilize it in a way that I never did in Albany and Tulsa because neither Albany or Tulsa has a subway system, right? Um, so you start and, and to what learn. about metric? What about- metric is tough. Yeah, <laughs> metric is tough. Um, you know what you'll get the most? Like the easiest one to get is temperature because you'll feel it. So yes. if it's plus two, you your brain and your body starts to understand what plus two is. But when it comes to things like... Uh, I'd like a pound of, of salmon, please. You have to go 450 grams, but you know what? Everybody says fine to the pound. And, and again, like I said at the beginning of this, I did not become a rabbi because I'm good at math. So that's <laughs> the part that really is starting to to flip my brain. I'm I'm having to work in that in a in a different way. That's not that's not quite computing in my brain just yet. It'll it's, get I'm there. still working on it. It's a, but it's a very rich Jewish history in Montreal too. Yes. Right? And uh, luckily, uh, I have um, some resources for that. That was one of the things I was interested in learning about. That's that's one of the things that I enjoy about being in a new place, right? Albany has a hugely rich Jewish history because of um, the, one of the founders of American Reform Judaism, Isaac Mayerweiss, started in Albany before he moved to Cincinnati, which is where he established a lot of the... Um, infrastructure for the American, the North American reform movement, such as the URJ, the CCAR, Hebrew Union College, all of those mm-hmm. pieces started in Cincinnati with Isaac Mayer Wise. But before he was in Cincinnati, he was in Albany. So that has a rich Jewish history. Tulsa as well, Temple Israel celebrated their 100th anniversary uh, a couple of years before I moved there. And like fascinatingly, I remember hearing about this from the executive director there on our yard site boards there in Tulsa. We actually have our oldest yard site plaque that we have is from someone who died before the state of Oklahoma was had established statehood. Wow. It, it's so they also have a rich, deep history. And, and again, talking yeah, about... Yeah. Um, some of those things with the Black Wall Street massacre and and all of mm-hmm. that history as well. And now to move to Montreal and to get to learn about a different local history in that regard and, and getting some resources about what does that look like and how do I learn about that and so, how do I incorporate that into my understanding? Yeah. So two things. One, after this interview, I'm moving to Tulsa. I just want to <laughs> I'll put you. I'll put you in touch with Becca. She'd be happy to make connections for it'll you. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll all be fine. Um, <laughs> the uh, I'll tell my family later. They'll be devastated, but it'll be worth it. Um, the other part is: do you do you have any advice for nomadic Jews? Mm. To, how do they? What would be your best advice for how they can find home 
in different places as they move around. How to find home in different places as they move around. It's such a tough concept. Judaism is this kind of weird amalgamation of there is so much about Judaism that is centered on and predicated in the home, but then there is also so much that really needs that communal piece. Um, and I think a first thing that's really important to keep in mind is to use your connections, right? So if somebody were coming to me and say, hey, I'm moving to a new place, do you know anybody there or can you put me in touch with anybody there? One of the things that I think we do really well is that concept of Jewish geography, right? And how do we connect people to different other people? Um, the the six degrees of, of Jewish geography can be an incredible network to help with. And whatever local Jewish communal professional you're working with, whether that's a rabbi or a cantor or a director of education or any of those people, they'll be able to help make some connections somewhere. That's number one. Um, number two, and I know this piece is a little bit daunting for some people, um, but don't be afraid in some cases. As, again, you got to move out of your comfort zone in order to grow. And so there is going to be, for that nomadic piece, there is going to have to be a little bit of you putting yourself out there. So maybe doing, number one, a little bit of research about seeing what the Jewish community is, if there's a federation or if there's um, any kind of Jewish community where you're living, right? The smaller the city, the smaller the amount of, of resources there are going to be there. And then to, to ask for the help that you need. And reach out to the community. I know in, in Yakima, like if somebody were to cold reach out to the, the community there at Temple Shalom in Yakima and to say, hey, I'm moving to Yakima. I don't really know anybody. Can you put me in touch or when our services or how can I be a part of the community? They're so excited to welcome somebody new in that regard. Um, and that hospitality piece that comes out when you're able to put yourself out there in that regard and ask for the help that you need, I think is really important. All right. This is all very, very good advice, I'd say. Thank you, Rabbi. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Ralph. Rabbi Lillian Kowalski is the Associate Rabbi and Director of Education at Temple Emmanuel Beth Shalom in Westmount, Quebec. This has been Yehupitzville, sponsored by Pear Tree Canada, reducing the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift donors. Learn more at PeartreeCanada.com. I'm your host, Ralph ben Murgy. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Louis Samayo. And if you want to travel with us across this great country, visiting small and not-so-small Jewish communities, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more of my work, I host another podcast, Not That Kind of Rabbi, and I have a website, ralphbenmurgy.ca. Uh, you can check out my services there as well. If you want to hear more Canadian Jewish stories, you can find them at the Canadian Jewish News' website, the cjn.ca. Thanks, and we'll see you next time in Yehopetsville.